Welcome to Fitness or Fiction, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the hype. With me is my co-host, Curtis Howden, who's going to tell us a little bit more about what that means. So we created this podcast specifically to start addressing issues that are a little bit bigger than just a standard answer. So a good example would be you'll see online five exercises that are good for your back. For me, the first thing I say is, well, you've never met my back. So let's maybe get through a little bit of the hype and the marketing and start get in, getting into the zone of what is real and what is valuable in that and, and getting a better answer instead of just a quick surfacey, this is good, this is bad. Yeah, it's funny. With the internet, you actually said this a long time ago when you were teaching a class, probably five, five, ten years within that gap. But you actually were teaching the class and you said like, this is like the age of like information and technology and who is actually going to be the filter of information being there's just so much information out there, some good, some bad. Yeah, I like to say that the amount of information out there is pretty similar, but the access to it is huge and the access to actually putting it out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, context ends up being king, but we also deal with, well, it's not that I can't find information. It's that I have to wade through this mountain of information to find the really good stuff. Yeah. And that tends to be consistent. I mean, people like yourself, who, when you started, were dealing with a back issue so you could get back to lifting. Um, it's not that you didn't have information. It's that you had so much. The real question is what needs to be next. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I still find that I run into situations like that constantly, and I'm a fitness professional, 10 years of experience, and I still kind of run in and bump into problems that uh, have an abundance of information and answers and still trying to filter through that. Like, obviously, that's our job. But if it's challenging for us, it's challenging for you listening. Yeah, that's that's part of the process of, of everybody. And, you know, one of the big things about education is your your confidence level is going to go up really high. But as you get more information, the confidence level will dip again. And that's the real value of realizing that your cup is never full. Yeah, 100%. I feel that way. Yeah, there we go. I definitely want to just speak for myself and everyone watching on YouTube that... Um, your arms are unusually swollen. <laughs> Is that a condition or something? Um, <laughs> it's a condition of doing less legs than I used to. Yeah. Well, you have you have upper legs now. <laughs> well, you know, I, I couldn't work the quads the same, so I'm trying to see if I can add a third head to my bicep. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this episode, uh, I get to grill you. So we're going to call this one The Myth of Curtis. And it's mythical. I do think I know you relatively well as a person, but I definitely don't feel like I have a hundred percent access to like your backstory and everything about you. You know, like we've known each other five, eight years, something like that. I think further on the eight side. Yeah. Yeah. Probably on the eight side. But you know, you can, even in that time frame, you only still know so much about a person. So, yeah. you know, you said when you grilled me that you're going to run it like speed. My objective is to break you down and make you cry a little bit and then build you back up and then break you down again. If you make me cry, I have a few friends that will never let me live it down. Really? Oh, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't, I, I don't, I tell my wife I'm part of the He-Man Woman Haters Club. That's, that's from the he Little Man Rascals. He-Man Woman Haters. That's from the Little Rascals. You're too young for that. I did watch the Little Rascals, but I yeah. don't remember anything. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the club. But I tell my wife that. I'm like, I never cry and she always catches me crying in movies and stuff. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, big, baby. Um, yep. big baby. Big mm baby. -hmm. All right. Well, let's kind of dig into the start of this being, where do you come from? Who who are you? That's an easy... We'll sum it up, though. Just give me one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up about 10 kilometers from here. Uh, we're in Skyview Ranch right now. Uh, I grew up in Temple in Northeast Calgary. Really growing up in a in an area like that was a really good experience because you got to experience multiculturalism a lot earlier than a lot of people that I, I know that didn't grow up in a place like that so for me growing up was a really cool cool experience because i got to see people from all different sorts of backgrounds and i also got into those kind of niche groups because i was involved in like computers and involved in the band but also played most of the sports you were in band. What did you play? So I started playing piano when I was in grade one, and I, I played for like 19 years. I went to grade nine classical rudiments, oh. and then I played uh, saxophone. Me too. I played all the way through. I actually played two years at the University of Calgary Big Band. Oh, wow. Little known fact. Crazy. And uh, then in grade 12, I took up clarinet because <laughs> saxophone and concert band was kind of getting easy. I played in a lot of bands, but... Yeah, my parents had me in a lot of stuff because I think they were afraid they would 
call me ADHD. Yeah, I know. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to spoiler alert, I guess for yourself, I'm going to tell your story, but I also know that you are like a pretty rock star diver. I mean, you go swimming frequently and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm like humble humility. You're like, I'm okay diver. And then you go and do like a double front flip, like into a perfect like dive. And you're like, Oh, I haven't done that in like 10 years. I'm like, yeah, okay, Curtis. So yeah. What, what role has like, what role did fitness play in your life when you were growing up uh, aside from the spoiler? Yeah, well, so there's a lot of things I did. One of my best friends, his name is Curtis as well, but he spells it with a K, which is upsetting for him because it's wrong. But uh, <laughs> I guess that's more of his parents' issue. But um, yeah, Curtis once said to me that I'm more defined by what I don't do than what I do um, because I was busy growing up. I was doing a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was in a lot of different bands and a lot of different sports. And exercise for me had a special place because it was always... It was always kind of my safe place, which was funny because I was always the smallest kid. Yeah. So, like, I I won cities two years in a row in junior high for wrestling. Um, and part of the reason I think that happened is because I was in, like, the 87-pound category. And my brother was 200 pounds. So I was used to wrestling him on the trampoline. And all of a sudden, they're like, hey, Curtis, you have to wrestle people your own weight. I was like, Rip, that's a thing? <laughs> and so, yeah. But you know what? Early on, I was involved in baseball. That was my first thing. And I did really good at baseball. I, was, I had the fastest time between the bases, which is funny because, like, I was so small. Yeah, just and a little spitfire. Just yeah. <sighs> like, in grade four, I was three foot ten. I think. My, my trading card is hilarious. But, yeah, baseball was the first one. I got into basketball in junior high and played on the school team and stuff like that. Wasn't that good at basketball? I, I was fast and I could get to the to the net and stuff like that. But the the actual intention of the sport i didn't get why you couldn't hit people yeah and then i found rugby mm-hmm. <laughs> and rugby was awesome i loved rugby i actually went and played in in new zealand when i was on my exchange for university so diving and swimming i did in grade 11 and 12 and then i coached the diving team for two years after i graduated mm-hmm. and then i moved away so i couldn't anymore but yeah that was that was really cool because me and my buddy curtis we would always go snowboarding and, and he taught me how to wakeboard and we were always pulling flips there and we we're like wait a second there's a sport that you can just kind of flip around i wouldn't say we were that good it wasn't like high level diving it was high school level which i think the regular divers would probably laugh at us but it was enough that we learned how to do some cool stuff yeah for sure i've fun. seen it yeah <laughs> i've seen it what do you like i'm just curious like what do you think life would have been like if you didn't have all these sports and like if it wasn't accessible to you because it's not accessible for everybody it's a weird question but oh that's a rough one we can definitely so I was I was really shy until about grade six, um, and I wasn't shy in front of people that I knew, but I was actually quite quiet. And in grade six, I kind of started feeling more confident and comfortable expressing who I was, and that's really when like I started excelling at sports. So for me, I, I drew confidence from capability. Yeah, if that makes sense. Hundred. Yeah. So I started coming out of my shell, and and the place that it played for me was it was something that I. It was something that I knew about myself. It's kind of like knowing your inner self and, and it made me more confident and comfortable expressing who I was. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. Like I was, I was really good at a lot of sports, but then it kind of came to be when I was getting into about grade 10, I wasn't five feet yet. Fun fact, when I met my wife in grade 11 and she was in grade 10, we were both 5'2 and 100 pounds. So, <laughs> so anyways, going into... To grade 10, I was like, uh, well, if I want to keep playing sports, I need to get some weight on. So really in, in grade 10, I went from like 80 pounds to 105 pounds really quick. And then I met Sarah in grade 11 and I kept kind of exercising. But the summer of grade nine, my parents bought me a weight set. And at first I would hide that I was exercising. I'd do it right before bed. Mm-hmm. So my brother didn't know and he wouldn't make fun of me. I don't know if he would have anyways, but for me, it was like, well, I don't know. At that time, you felt a little off about yeah, it. Yeah. But then... All of a sudden, it was kind of, Curtis is the guy that works out. It was, it was funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but yeah, that was, for me, exercise really was just kind of, it would teach me a lot about me. And if I knew something about myself without question, it I felt a lot more comfortable expressing myself to other people. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, like just drawing confidence from capability. I think a lot of people do that, but maybe in different a- avenues of life, right? Like not everyone does it through fitness, but they might do it through artistic ability or creativity or other things like that. 
Yeah, I think everyone has their outlets. It's interesting for me, though, if you want to get to know more about someone, you go and do a workout with them. You're going to find out aspects of their personality. And it might not be all encompassing for everything else that they do, but it's a really interesting thing, like the way that they communicate with themselves and, and express mm-hmm. um, who they are. It, it really gives you kind of a, a view into kind of where they're at. Yeah. So, yeah, just that mental chatter. So that was like you talked about going into university, like what were you studying in university? Because it wasn't always your intention to be a, a personal trainer. I was kind of so in high school I was a little bit of a gym rat I I really liked really liked it Um, and I wanted to go into personal training Um, I wanted to do their one year program at Mount Royal Mm -hmm. they weren't a university yet spoiler alert I'm kind of old but for me I was like no I need to do something that's like like a real career which is horrible to say now like oh it's still it's still out there though I know it's out there but I was in I was involved in that so so anyways, I think my parents would have been okay with that, but I felt this draw to go to university, so I did. And I started in business, and I hated it. <laughs> I was like, why? Well, I felt like I had more to offer the world, and I, my view on it, it wasn't the program, it was my view on it, was like I'm just learning how to make money. And for me, I just couldn't get behind it. Mm-hmm. So like my first two years of university, I really didn't like. And then the last semester of the second year, I took... Um, all kinesis courses in the spring semester and i got a's and a pluses and all of them just interesting to you just all the all yeah the was, i really engaged in it I, I loved it and one of the one of the courses was introduction to leadership and i aced all of those and that got me into u of a for their education phys ed program mm-hmm. and uh so i had very little notice and moved up to u of a for my education majoring in phys ed and minoring in social studies actually not everyone knows that oh i definitely do yeah you just shoot out the most random facts sometimes <laughs> yeah when we talk about like political spectrums or yeah. yeah yeah we do that yeah so like that's kind of your university your education stuff like that what actually where was the shift though where you actually there was like we're missing a piece in there so in my second year of university, I, I realized that I hated what I was doing. And I was like, okay, so how do I make it better? Like I need a solution. So I applied to get into education. But throughout that time, that was right around the time where I had a, a car accident. It was a T-bone car accident. And I was with a buddy of mine. And I came away from that accident thinking I was okay. But then I started getting these weird like shooting pains down my left leg and my left arm. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, it was a real pain because... <laughs> Yeah, it was a real pain because nobody could see that anything was wrong and it wasn't always there. It would be like I'd do something wrong and I could barely walk down the hill to go see the Cairo. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. Like when you're 19 years old and you have that sort of pain um, and my Cairo was like, yeah, you've got like five discs that are not happy and bulged like. And so I started seeing physio and massage and whatever else. And they were all saying like. At the time, they were, I was getting the message all the time. My doctor was like, yeah, this is a, de- a degenerative condition. Mm-hmm. And I hated that I couldn't do things that I, that I once could without fear of reprisal. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking, to how to, looking into how to fix it. And then in that time, I ran into a guy named Rob Anger, uh, spelled the usual way, A-N-G-E-R. Angry. Yes. <laughs> And uh, he he looked at me and said something that was pretty pretty life changing. Actually, it was well instead of talking about where you're where you're going to be in a bad way or what you can't do right now, let's let's start talking about what you can do and building on that. And it seems so stupid, like it seems so simple, but that's what I needed to hear. He started showing me how to move better, and and he started teaching me Shaolin martial arts. And um, it took him about four months to get me back to things. I was playing rugby again. I was wrestling again. And, and I decided, you know, this is kind of, this is the impact I want to have on people. So I go up to U of A. I still studied um, from a distance doing Shaolin and stuff like that. But having that taken away and given back to me, I was like, that that's the impact I want. So I went through my degree and coming out of my degree, I started teaching. And I was a substitute teacher at Glenmore Christian School. And I found out really early that, did you know you can get called into the principal's office as a teacher? Yeah, I let the I let the students. I guess the principal's your boss. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't expect it. It was weird, but like I let the students search with their phones about nuclear war because that's what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I got in trouble because they're not allowed to use their phones. 
Gotcha. But it was like a really engaged conversation. And I actually felt like I was connecting with them and whatever else. But a lot of my experience was just stepping in and like teaching kids about badminton and stuff like this. And I was like, that's not, that's not what I want to do. Like I want to have a bigger impact on people. Yeah. So in that same year I had started training and I was doing that. I got my first gig training in July. It was July 5th, 06. I just graduated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From high school. Yeah. <laughs> Your child. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I did that for a year. I met, I ran into Sarah in September. We went on our first date, September 19th, 06. Okay. Yeah. And then we got married August 11th, 07. That was way faster than I thought it would have ever been. It took me 10 years, but you know what? Who's counting? Yeah. Mine was 11 months. I didn't ever think it would go that way, but that's a story for another time. Um, but for me, once I started doing that, I stopped substituting and when we went up to Edmonton for Sarah to go to school. And that was go time. It was like, okay, well, now I'm really adulting. We have our own place. We're in our own city. And I got to make sure that I can get Sarah through school and whatever. And that's when I, I really engaged and saw what I could do in training. And for me, I'd, I never turned back. That was 06. And I worked for the same company until this April. And it was... Um, it was a choice at the time because I wanted to give people what Rob had given me, which was hope again. Like it, it was horrible the, the way that they would medicalize and talk about uh, the issue that I had going on. So once I took that back, it was like, yeah, that, that's what I want to do. So I, I never taught again in the traditional environment. I've done lots of teaching, but um, I haven't gone back to the school system. Mm -hmm. So, so you got into the industry you became a trainer at this company yeah and what was like your what was like because we we already talked about what my first year was and we know like i i struggled more so again i think my challenge in my first year again was confidence right so i struggled for the first year year and a half what did your first like you know one two three years start to look like did you did you have any obstacles that uh were in your face challenging yeah, the, the big thing for me was reaching out for new clients. Like it was, it was foreign to me to, to talk to somebody uh, in the idea that it's like, okay, well, I would like you as a client. And the way that I kind of overcame that, I had started with my buddy, Josh Diesel. He was known as Josh Martin at the time, but he's over 300 pounds. So we started calling him Diesel. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a thing now. <laughs> but yeah, between me and him, we basically, we discovered really early that you need to share what you're trying to do with people so that you can feel comfortable sharing it with people, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I started playing around with this idea of physical freedom. And what I'll, you'll hear me say it all the time because I started in 06 saying this and it was, you know, what, what I do is I help people realize, attain and regain their physical freedom. And that has some, a lot of different ways that you can go with it. But for me, once I realized this is my, my focus, this is my why, then all of a sudden I had the, ability to start saying listen i want to give you this and i didn't feel like i was asking for people's money anymore even if that was the case because my goals were were far beyond that and the value was so much greater than any cost and once i once i engaged in that my first year was really nothing to write home about and that was also the time where i was courting sarah is, is courting a thing I can say courting. Yes. Well, you were born in the 40s? Sure. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> 40, 43, we'll call it. Um, 40, 45, let's say 45, right when the war ended. Um, <laughs> but Social studies. Yeah, there you go, yeah. But the big thing for me was when we got to Edmonton and it was kind of go time, it wasn't learning the craft anymore. I felt like, you know, with with my buddy Diesel and, and my boss at the time was really supportive. His name was Ross Lynch. Um, but... I had really kind of learned what needed to happen. And my big thing was, I want to do this for more people. I want to, I, the physical freedom thing, helping people realize, attain and regain their physical freedom was a big deal. But I also wanted to get that out to a certain amount of people because I knew that there were other people like me that felt like they had take it, had it taken away from them and didn't know what to do next. Yeah. And my background was teaching 30 people at a time. So I started doing an abs class and then I started doing group training and Group training was a big deal for me because I could have two and three people in front of me and that exponentially changed how I could impact their lives mm -hmm. uh, or the amount of people that I could at least. And so that year I, I really kind of demonstrated for the company what 
group training could look like. And I was very busy. I had a really big impact. I still have some really good relationships with the people from that time. Yeah. And it was a, it was a really big kind of breakout time for me. It was, I got the top trainer award that year, which That's, meant something to me, not because of the award, but because of the amount of people that I was able to help. That was in your first or second year? Or? That was my second year. We, we moved up to Edmonton and I started at White Mud. So you were already thriving on year two. Year two, you started to feel like more set in your... Yeah, year two, I got top trainer. Yeah. So that was, that was cool. And, and it, I became assistant manager that year as well. So that was 08, I became assistant manager. Mm-hmm. And from 08 to 2021, I was managing people and... See, the top trainer thing to me, like, I'm, like, a little salty towards business and money. Don't spit out your coffee. Salty towards business and money. Like, when I think of top trainer, I think about, like, most sales and crap like that. I'm not assuming that that's how you approached it. That's not how you weren't like, oh, man, I got to get me some sales. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. Um, for me, it was it was way different. It, like every every number that they were keeping track of was a person to me. Yeah. And really, like I was I was boxing with a guy named Paul Anthony, and he had been the top guy for years. And he's a big boy in Calgary. Yeah, really, really good at what he does. Really good at sales. And and um, for me, the way that I was able to keep up with him, he was charging more than me. Mm-hmm. He'd been a trainer way longer than me. The only way that I was able to keep up with him was that I was focused on helping more people, period. Um, the payments involved in that, I wasn't, I didn't even know that I was in the running until the last month or so. And then after that, I was like, well, no. And I had a, my manager at the time came up to me and said, listen, I've seen what you do with your people. You should, you should show that you can be number one on service. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I did. And the best compliment I got was from a buddy of mine named John Sinclair. And he came up to me at the party. I had sunglasses on because I had just had LASIK because mm-hmm. I had glasses before that. Nerd. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm wearing glasses right now. <laughs> You're like, freak. <laughs> oh, geez. Take these off. Yeah. Uh, no, but John, John Sinclair came up to me and I just got my award and I had my sunglasses on. The flashes were just the worst because I had my surgery like earlier that day. It was horrific. But yeah. Um, we can talk about the experience of that. I felt like Wolverine. I was going to kill everyone in the room. I should, I should have taken uh, that. Yeah, yeah, that all sounds terrifying. Yeah. I don't like eyeball stuff. Yeah. I when like they it. cut it and they fl- pull the flap. It's for another time. But <laughs> anyways, John Sinclair comes up to me and he shakes my hand and he was like, listen, it's really good to see somebody do this the way that you did. And for me, that was huge um, because he's one of the guys that I technically beat. But I went up to that club in the first place because I wanted to learn from him because he was teaching courses at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that award was big for me and really catapulted my opportunities down the road to, um, take on the director of continuing education. They called it the Dean. I still, uh, the Dean of education. Oh man, it just indubitably. Uh, yeah. It's, it sounds like that. You're right. You kept a monocle in your desk and a top hat and a cane. Perfect. Yeah. Just in case yeah. it was either me or Mr. Peanut and nobody could tell who, but <laughs> anyways, yeah. So that was that was my first year. The second year, I moved back down to Calgary, took on my first club, which was Sunridge World Health, right where I started. Yeah, managed there for a while, and we were the top club. And then I got moved over to Edgemont, which was the flagship. And I was there from was it twenty two thousand and ten two thousand ten to twenty twenty one. Yeah. So and the process there was first I. I took over the Dean of Continuing Education. Mm, Indeed. Yeah. Fat cats. Mm. Uh, And then that was a big deal for me because it was doing education on my own terms. Yeah. And every time I taught a course, I got better at relaying the information, which I found was a really good thing for my clients. And then shortly after that, I got in 2014, I got the regional director position. and, And that meant that I could go around the region and actually teach the trainers courses. Mm-hmm. And I would go and run their business development meetings, which was a lot of here's how to be a better trainer. Now, here's how you apply it to your clients. Mm-hmm. And there's this there's this dichotomy when you're running a service industry kind of gig like personal training or fitness where, yeah, a, a business's main thing is can they take on revenue to survive and, and thrive? Yeah. But the way that you generate that and how you treat your people was always paramount importance to me. Mm-hmm. Um so having time to spend with people and get to know them was 
was one of the coolest parts and and one of the hardest parts was when the relationships wouldn't go exactly how we wanted whether that was due to policy or an oversight on my part or or if they weren't really willing to learn and move forward or... yeah i don't think everybody is meant to jive together i think most people can find a way to kind of be cohesive with one another but i don't think every single person is meant to just click and fit into situations no and there's also a lot of different situations that come up like there was one where i had reached out to some people in the region to say hey be part of our photo photo shoot and that was my involvement i was reaching out to people that i knew saying like come like we want to like a nice diverse group of people to do a shoot with and whatever and there was one guy that um they didn't use a lot of his pictures because he's really muscular and he was too the, jacked for the uh... the marketing department told me you know it, it's a little bit more aggressive of a look than we want so they didn't use too many of his pictures and i didn't even really realize that and he approached me and said how come they're not like what a waste of my time and i was like yeah no let me ask him about it and that was that was kind of what i got back and it wasn't my choice what pictures were used but um yeah that was that was one of those circumstances it was really hard because i don't think that he ever really got the message that like i wasn't involved in the selection of pictures or anything yeah. i was involved in saying hey these people are are really good to use for the photo shoot so that's like that's an example of some of the the hard things about it because he took it a certain way and assigned who could have been at fault yeah and for me it was like no it, man that i'm not involved there that was that was one of those ones yeah 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 so you kind of you you already just opened up the full book and read it to us but um <laughs> Yeah, like, so I'm going to ask you anyways, what do you feel was your favorite role out of all of those? The time that I felt most well utilized is when I was teaching, so... Is that regional I, director or is that the dean of continuing <laughs> education? Because <laughs> I'm going to say, like, obviously you're one person, you were doing essentially both jobs, but I'm still going to say that the jobs were slightly different. Like, if we kind of dissected your 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 regional director tasks and your continuing education tasks, like... I'm just gonna separate them. So yeah, well, I, at the time it was it was I, I wouldn't call it worse than that. It was bigger than that because I was still running Edgemont as well, and that came along with its own challenges too. Not being in that club all the time, mm -hmm. and when the staff needed more support, they had my co-manager there, but they they wanted me there, so that came with some challenges not being there all the time. But when I look at all three roles, like the fitness manager role, the the regional director role, and the education role, did regional director role was actually my favorite and the reason was because i felt like i could actually engage with the people better because you yeah. can only know somebody so well after teaching them a day-long class yeah i feel like obviously you know i was a manager of a team i had a relatively large team it fluctuated up and down over the years but i can definitely speak for myself and others that most people i know say that you're a pretty exceptional teacher like you do a rock star job of teaching we loved like all the like the content that you taught us it was oh see you're gonna cry no no i'm not gonna cry it's and gonna um cry. yeah so just i understand though because i attended some of your courses and the vibe at your course is completely different than when you're at the club when you're at the club it was more of like uh like a team unit and there was like it, it just felt more personable versus going to a course a circle circle person not like a triangle no no corner no. yes exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, when you're when you're teaching a course it's kind of it's different the vibe's different you know like if i go to a course that you're teaching there's a bunch of people that i may not know so you feel a little bit less comfortable i would say versus being at your home club home base and being like getting the education being brought to you yeah i that was that was bomb. I have some pictures that you actually took. One of them is my main banner on Facebook was a picture you took of me teaching your team. Mm -hmm. Those are really fond memories for me because not only was I getting to teach people that, but I'd actually get to coach them on how to use it in the future and answer their questions after the course was done. But I like to call it like like medication, like doses. Like I like to have a potent dose. I do like that, but doing that with a course and not being able, able to follow up and support after it it's a big limitation in education. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I, I really, I really liked getting to know who somebody was and support them through their, their challenges. And a lot of the coaching that we did with our staff when we were most successful was things that they wanted to do personally. Like, you know, how does work fit into what you're trying to do as far as your schedule, as far as your, uh, the clients you're trying to reach and all that sort of stuff. That was, that was the spot where I was like, you know what, this is, this is where I'm best utilized and 
if I had my way, I would have been in the clubs more than I was. And I always fought to be in the clubs as much as I could. Yeah. But the biggest challenge, if I were to look at that, it's like, well, what role was the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge was being spread thin. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't feel like I could really fully engage in one thing because I had so many things to look after. Hold on. That was my next question. Oh. What was your biggest challenge? being yep. spread too thin okay oh, good. Yeah, carry yeah, on yeah, yeah. good good yeah. good 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 once <laughs> yeah once i took on too many things like it was i was teaching courses which is kind of a separate thing but every time i taught a course that was a day that i had to make up right mm-hmm. and then every time i was in another club that was good but i wasn't full regional director i was also the manager of, of edgemont which is a, a beast of a club and 40 trainers on the team at its height um but when i started feeling like I couldn't get everything in like that. That was the part that, that was the hardest because I, I really wanted to engage and do things the best that I could, but it ended up being a scenario where I I felt that for a long time and it ended up having some (laughs) detrimental effects because keep in mind throughout all this period, I was doing competitive Olympic lifting too. So it ended up being ended up being a, a real interesting balancing act. I would have up to nine workouts a week from 2009 onward. And I was still juggling all of that. And uh, yeah, that, that took its toll on me, I think. Yeah, I could definitely speak from like, I think we've talked about this before, but like I felt like you were hard to access because you were spread so thin. And I was like, man, this is tough. Like just... I ended up creating my own workaround for it when I needed you. I basically just compiled everything. I was like, Curtis is going to be here on Wednesday, and I'm going to slap him with everything that's on my plate rather than rather than spit it to you throughout the week because I didn't think that that was efficient for myself or for you because, because you were spread thin. So I was able to find a workaround. I don't know if everybody else was able to find those workarounds. They kind of wanted... They wanted it to work a certain situation and have it be like this seamless process, and I... In my head, I was like, Curtis operates this way, so I'm just going to operate with him. And it was able to be a little bit more cohesive, I think. Well, but that's why we jive so good, because (laughs) you were like, well, this is where you're at. I'm going to try to adapt to that. And what we would do is be like, check, 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 clear it up. And then next week, do anything else. And and that actually worked really good for me. But yeah, it was, that was a consistent battle. And, you know, later on, after my diagnosis and everything it it ended up being something that i really had to look at and be like okay so what favors am i doing myself because i even in weightlifting i was really good at pushing i was really great at that but resting and relaxing is not not my strong suit yeah i think that's a consistent battle for anybody though who is like family driven like i think you're socially like i think obviously you have like family friends Uh, recreational activities try to spend time with the boys like even right now like it's still easy to be spread thin just by being trying to be a a functioning slash successful adult and before you get too far like further because you kind of just going page by page here we talked a lot about the positives i didn't really get what like what's the biggest challenge during your role and i'm not looking for a salt fest here we're not looking to pour like negativity all over the place just just something so we have an idea. Yeah, I think the being spread thin thing is is one of those things. So my intention was always to take care of people. Mm-hmm. And later on in my tenure, as I would dealt with my own challenges and whatever else, um, I didn't always feel like I had the space to take care of people the way I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the hardest thing because I really do love people. Like, even to this day, I reach out to people that I haven't seen in, in a while and say, hey, let's get, let's grab coffee. They're like, oh, is there anything you want to go over? I'm like, no. I'm just curious to see how you're doing. That's it. Yeah. So that was like that was my biggest challenge. And I, I'd probably put it somewhere between that and, and recovery because I always, I got into the habit of doing a lot all the way from university. So when I started having problems with my leg, I think it was 2014 or 15, and they they sold me that it was my hip, and I'm like, ah, but I've I've rehabbed people's hip labrums lots before, like I've done that, and it's not responding. And it took me four years of not being able to run and 
really having to leave the sport that I loved. Like I, Olympic lifting was really great for me. Like I was really proud of what I did. And my coach is like my grandpa. Um, my, my firstborn's name is William Henrik. And it's because Henrik Gregorian was my weightlifting coach. And he was like my grandpa. But it was, it was hard having the, the whole thing go on with my leg and my hip. And that was, that was a road that, you know, you can look at bad things happen. And I hate it when people say bad things happen for a reason, because you look at somebody who's just had a miscarriage or something like this. And it's like, oh man, that's, that's not a nice thing to say, but we can just say that bad things do happen. Yeah. For me, from the outsider's perspective, looking in, like I was going to ask you about this because you did say like, you know, two minutes ago, you mentioned diagnosis and we haven't really dug into that yet. But when I first met you, you were already experiencing these hip issues, but I was still blown away because you were still one of the strongest people in the room. And I was like, this dude's hips messed up and he's still like, he's stronger than me. And I was decently strong once we got my back put together. Not like I was the monster in the room, but I was like, man, like this guy's really strong mentally. Like I would say your mental strength overbeats your physical strength, but uh, it was, it was unique for me to watch you like destroy me on absolutely everything and still have like, you were still injured. You were still, you weren't at a hundred percent. I was like, man, at this point, once we rehab my back, I was like, I'm at a hundred percent and we're building. And I felt like positive. I was like, man, we're going up and up and up and the sky's the limit here. But I was like, this, this guy is just always like two, three, four steps ahead of me, depending what we were doing. Um, you know, I can beat you on some tiny, like some small stuff, you know, I've got me on handstands. I've got some stuff under my yeah. belt, but yeah, like at that point when we were working together, I was like, man, like you used to show me videos of you lifting and things like that. Like some of your big lifts. I can't remember what you did. Was it 315? I don't know. You had some weight overhead. I don't know how much it was, but Henrik told you to drop it. <laughs> you remember this video? <laughs> yeah. It's he's, on Facebook. He's yeah. like, yeah, you're like, you had an overhead. Henrik's like, okay, drop it. And you're just like, yeah, I just brought it down and went, slow. And he's Ooh. like, Oh, yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that was 150 jerk for two. Yeah. Um, so that's 330 pounds. But yeah, that, that that's a whole other bag of worms. And I don't know how much we want to talk about that. But yeah, so like the... For me, it's weird seeing one of the strongest people I know expecting him to fix himself. I'm like gonna get like i thought it was like it was just waiting i was like you fix me i'm like he's gonna fix himself and it's just a matter of time it's just a matter of time yeah that was that was a real kick in the face so two years ago in march i um i had talked to my brother i was like listen i've been struggling with this for five years i need you to reach out to your network because he's a pharmacist i said i need you to talk to some doctors i need to figure out what's wrong with this thing because i came out of the steam room and i could barely get my clothes on and this, um, this neurologist named Scott Jarvis, um, he reached out and he was like, yeah, I'll see you. So I went in to see him and he assessed me. He's like, this, you know, this doesn't seem like MS or anything, but there's something going on. So he got me in for an MRI within 10 days and mm-hmm. I had waited for my hip for like two years. Yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> so yeah, I went in and he had me back in like right away and he sat me down and we just had Lucas. And so Sarah was holding Lucas and. Um, he was like, yeah, you have MS. Um, and that was like, right when we were sitting down, it was, it was kind of hard. So you look at him and you're trying to figure out what does that mean? Cause all you picture is people in wheelchairs. And I know a guy that he's had MS for a while and he really has a hard time walking. And that's all I pictured. And, and for me, I'd always been so capable and worked to get more capable that it was, it was really hard. Like that was that was not easy news. I took a few days off over that one. That was yeah, yeah. But you know, it was interesting. Like when I started work in 2006, I missed my first two days because I was having, I couldn't even leave the toilet. If I turned my head, I would puke. And they called it acute labyrinthitis, an inner ear infection. My neurologist looked back and he's like, he was asking me, oh, did you have ear pain? Did you have this? Did you have that? And I'm like, no. He's like, yeah, that was your onset. So you, every contest that you did in weightlifting, when you set the provincial record, when you were qualifying for nationals, when you were getting your medal at nationals, you did all that with MS. And for me, that was, it wasn't like, oh yeah, I accomplished that. It was, it was hope. It was like, well, 
So you say I have more voids in my brain and down my spine than you can count. So my function doesn't line up with that. But because of what I've doing, that because of what I've done and what I've been doing, I have hope. That was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, after that, I changed changed my diet, tried keto for a while, felt pretty good, tried vegan, felt horrible. Then I learned about gluten and dairy and some of the interactions that can happen neurologically and been doing gluten-free and dairy-free and trying to get this left leg back. Like a hippie. Yeah, eat like a hippie. That's what I like to say. Float Nothing on. against them. It's just... Float on through, brother. Oh, it's so weird. I used to order my pizzas with extra gluten. Yeah. So... <laughs> I used to do the same stupid yeah, shit and now yeah. I, don't, I don't really say anything. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, man, that's a heavy diagnosis. I, I feel like that's almost its own episode if it becomes one down the road, yeah. whether you would want that or not. But, um, I still feel like I'm personally in like denial of it. Like, I don't know where you sit with everything, but it's unbelievable to me to see like the strongest and then if i tell anybody that you're battling this they're like what really like that is the healthiest person we all know like how why has this happened to him it makes me very aware of my own mortality and i don't like to think about it because i don't like being upset and i don't like feeling sad so i kind of just i i just push those thoughts down just, <laughs> and I don't, I don't just push them in down. Deep. <laughs> yeah it's uh it's terrible man but um yeah if, if anyone can do it like if anyone can make the best of a, a bad situation i've seen you do it multiple times whether it was smaller than this or it's bigger than this like i think you have the right head on your shoulders to be able to handle whatever's thrown at you i have faith in you for that reason and i think that makes you stronger with all the people behind you yeah you know sarah often talks about you don't need to be what you were for the kids to love you and like it's it's really interesting like if you ask my kids about me they don't they do olympic lifting with me they don't know what i was like as an athlete and i had in my head that i had to show them that Mm -hmm. and that was strength but if you ask them about me they're not gonna mention lifting like that was an expression for me, but for them, like, they just want me there. Yeah. So, it's it's a really interesting thing to wrestle with because it's something that I have to go through, like, on the daily. And people won't see most of it because they don't know that I have to think about how I'm lifting my leg up the stairs and things like this. So, it's kind of like a silent battle. And most people, when you say, you know, MS or something like this. They're like, well, sorry, what is that? Like, I, I don't get it. And mm. nor should they. It's it's not their issue. It's fine. Um, but it's it's kind of more of the same in some ways. Like when I had my back issue, it was people couldn't really see what was going on. So like, yeah, he's fine. And with this, it's it's a real it's a mental trip more than a physical trip in some ways because on days where it's too hot, I have a really hard time functioning, and so I I take aspirin or um i'll i'll have like a ton of water or you know there's there's a few other supplements you can do to help with heat tolerance but when i'm really struggling it's not something you want to put in other people's faces either and be like yo i'm having a hard time or like a walk that ends up getting too long that my leg isn't really working well anymore it's not something you want to mention yeah so but for me it's a necessary part to mention in the journey because it's like, yeah, well, my career was doing this and whatever else. And and then this happened. And for me, that was kind of a turning point because I needed to look at what am I doing for the long game. Like, I can't keep pushing the way that I've been pushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how am I going to get rest? How am I going to make sure that I'm protecting my, my future self for my kids. So that was, that was a big, big deal for me. Like, again, I've said it to your face now, whether I did it or not in the past, like I said, like you're one of the strongest people I know. And for me, one of the, like the lessons that you've taught me that sticks with me, honestly, is one of them unrelated. It's just problem solving. I know when I have a problem, I just objectively look at it and strategize how to fix it. 
I just told you an issue of my dog getting in a fight and my dog got in a dog fight. I got upset. The first thing I did was come home and I sat in my chair and closed my eyes and I just I had a conversation with myself and I was able to resolve being upset and strategize solutions going forwards and then I wasn't upset for the rest of the night. That was a big win for me to be able to just have that uh, emotional and like mental clarity. But for me, if I tell stories about you to people, whether it's now or in the future, it's probably like, you know, your physical strength always comes up. That's a given. But for me, your mental toughness or like mental stability is honestly probably the bigger one, like being like in the face of adversity, still having a positive outlook and not letting it tear you down because there's so many things in life that can tear us down and make us feel like crap and it's something I'm really trying to work on this year being complaining about stupid things like oh it's too hot so I'm going to be in a bad mood or oh I'm hungry so I'm going to be in a bad mood like you know like little things like this can throw people off especially when we're so used to so much excess comfort now and I think that's probably one of the strongest lessons that you've taught me is I've I've learned to like when I complain about something stupid I try to stop it immediately and like you're in my brain and like the lessons that you've taught me that I've seen from you like we were in LA and you just got the nastiest food poisoning and if I, I was like man if I got that food poisoning I would be like a big child I would be a wreck and I wouldn't have been like I would have it would have been a bad experience for me but I probably would have made it a bad experience for you too and then you would have looked back on this LA trip and been like man Eric got sick and it was it was so rough like he was <laughs> man like you know i understand the dude was sick and i felt bad for him but like i probably would have milked it more than i should have <laughs> and when you got sick and food poisoning like you were just like cracking jokes like this like crazy person you go to a garbage can and like puke and come back and like tell a joke and you're all mangled but like you're still to me there's a book i think you're aware of it it's called the four agreements yeah so the four agreements one of those agreements we can talk about that another day but yeah. one of those agreements is do your best and I've been experiencing some stomach problems this past year and it's held me back some days and other days I look at one of those agreements and I think you're a pinnacle of it and that's that agreement of do your best regardless of where you stand and it says do your best today and that your best changes from time to time your best is not your PR Olympic lift your like your record that you hit your best is like what do you got today like what what do you got to offer today and I think that's probably one of your strongest traits that every day you can approach it with your best regardless of whether you are having a flare-up or you whatever's the situation you know what I mean to me that's probably your greatest strength well that's very very kind of you that's <laughs> I think you know in a lot of ways the the whole uh, getting kicked in the face we'll call it um, the whole experience has really been a, this scenario where it's like yeah well you know, it's guaranteed that you're going to have some sort of challenge in life, like period. And regardless of how big it is, like usually you and I talk about qualifying a challenge. It's like, okay, so let's put that in perspective. Let's let's try to find where people could be at. Oh yeah, I didn't get to eat this this food that I wanted. Well, that guy over there is dealing with something way worse. Like it, if we qualified, it usually comes back to be like not that big of a deal. But the whole thing for me is making the best of what you've got because we're like this is life is not the easiest thing and we're none of us are making it out alive so yeah the, and something that resonates with me is tomorrow's not guaranteed but everybody's yeah. living like it is yeah but that's what makes that was that's what makes it good right so like if if you look at living life there's no meaning if nothing could ever happen to you like if if there's no consequence if there's no challenge there's there's no beauty there's there's if there's permanence then nothing can happen whereas impermanence and imperfection and thriving in spite of that is where the beauty comes in in life like it, you know just spending time with my kids like i posted the other day on my kids were so excited to get out and pump the gas it's like yeah how many times you're like oh damn i gotta do this we get gas yeah meanwhile it's like daddy can i get out and help uh yeah you can do the whole thing if you want yay yeah it's like oh man like because life is impermanent and improbable that's really where a lot of the the excitement comes from yeah so. i have a lot of hippie moments lately like our aha moments when i'm walking in nature i feel like i've been cooped up in the gym so much for the past 10 years you know we would do we used to do long days man that's true and um like even today i was just walking around there's like a little like lake reservoir over there or whatever a little 
pool of water lake of war and i was like man there's so many dragonflies out like this is crazy and i was just like watching the insects and to me it was almost like being a child again where it was kind of beautiful just to look at something so ah so just small but appreciate and i'm like nobody else is appreciating this right now except for me so i've had a lot of those aha moments which i think is good it's just kind of resetting things back into perspective to yeah for sure have a more positive outlook but to get back on track i guess we went really off the rails there yeah in a good way yeah <laughs> um so like where are you at now and why are you still in the fitness industry so yeah basically going through all the different roles that i've had and everything i was I was responsible for a lot of work product and a lot of people and I loved that. But I got to a point where, you know, there's been a lot of stuff going on with the company that we were working at. But before that, I had approached my boss and said, listen, I, I need to stop. Like, I, I need to resign. And that resignation for me was a big deal because it meant changing the relationships that I had with a lot of people. And shortly after that, we discovered a bunch of other stuff that was going on financially and whatever and... It, I I had quit six days before all of that hit. I had no idea about it. But where I'm going now is, you know, I started an online business six years ago. I found it really exciting, the fact that I can reach more people and have more input for more people, which really, that's where the podcast comes in, is I, I actually want to continue to help people realize, attain, and regain their physical freedom. And I started Howden Movement Academy, and, and that is really about meeting with people and being their expert to take them where they want to go. And for me, being the expert is something that I didn't really like before, but I do want people to come and say like, here's what I'm trying to accomplish and try to get to the meat and potatoes of it and say, okay, listen, losing 20 pounds in 12 weeks is good in most cases. In most cases, you can't just say it's good. Mm-hmm. But let's say, oh, I put on 20 pounds in COVID. I want to take it off. Okay, that's probably a good idea. Probably. But the bigger thing for me is the, the long-term transformation. Like, can we teach this person how to deal with stress, whether it's physical stress like exercise or their day-to-day life or whatever else? Can we give them the tools? So instead of, hey, my hip hurts and my doctor says I need surgery, it's like, okay, have you trained that joint? And I run my mobility class twice a week via Zoom. And I have people that are across the country and, and in different countries coming to that class or, or getting the recording of it because I can actually teach them, here's, here's your joint, here's what it needs. And once I get to know them and start seeing what their issues are, it's, it's really exciting what can be accomplished. And I posted earlier this week on my client, Derek, and he was declared physically disabled permanently by two physiatrists. And he came to see me and he was like, well, I'm not sure that I can do anything, but I want to try something. I was like, man, you're my guy. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And he owns a cement company now. He he lays cement for a living and doesn't complain about his back. He's lost a whole pile of weight, which is an awesome byproduct. He did that mostly on his accord by changing his diet. Mm -hmm. But what, what I'm doing now is trying to get out to more people than I thought that I had a big network with the company. And every time I taught a trainer something, they could teach their clients. And I, I plan on still doing training mentorship. And I'm probably going to do my first intake late in August. But trainer mentorship is something that I've always loved because it's a, it's a denser um, expression. You, once you teach that trainer, they can exponentially help other people. Yeah. Um, but continuing to see clients myself and, and sharpen that skill set um, is something that, that's really important for me. So uh, this year I've engaged in education more than most uh, which is I always do education every year but this year I've really engaged in it to try to get across more value for my clients figure out how to serve them better and then the next step is really working with personal trainers and in the future I do have some other other plans for things that are um, they're in the works I think that it'll probably be something in the new year but it's a matter of you know how else can I can I serve people? Because for me, the impact that you have while you're here is really all that you have. Like you don't you don't get to take any of this stuff with you. Mm-hmm. So, like when I hear you were the difference, it's like yeah, that's that's why I do what I do. That's why I didn't leave the industry when a lot of people did. But you get to like your five years, and it's like when are you going to get a big boy job? It's like I have a big boy job. 
I'm actually impacting the world one person at a time. I'm not going and doing spreadsheets for an oil company, mm-hmm. which there's nothing wrong with. But for me, I see it as, as a higher calling. And what I do, I, I see it as a calling and not a job. So that's why I've continued to engage in it. Yeah, the big boy job thing, it's a, it's a big one too. But Yeah, that, that's a, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that another time. That's a cultural thing. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, very much so. With the whole education system and everything. Yeah, so, that gets to be a big topic. So, how was how was your grilling? I thought yeah. Do you feel? I thought you did good. Successfully. You got close to making me cry are though. You, are you medium rare? <sighs> I almost, you almost made me cry. So. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect to get that deep. Like this is episode <laughs> two, so. <laughs> deep like. Gross. <laughs> That's a dodgeball reference. Yes. Yeah. Good. Watch dodgeball. <laughs> Well, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I think it was good. Um, where are we going with our future episodes, my friend? What's the what's what's episode three? So episode 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 three. Episode, episode three. Um, we're going to be talking more about what we're trying to do with this podcast. So, in my view, like you start a podcast, and it's how good are you going to be talking to people that aren't here? It's really dialogue between you and me, but where we want to go from here is actually cutting through the hype meaning we're going to have to talk about a what is this podcast all about and we're going to have to get into that next time and then after that it's it's literally pick a topic and start pulling it apart and for me pulling a topic apart isn't like this is true this is facts because the world doesn't work that way it's not just this black and white sort of thing mm-hmm. um, so you'll see all of these things like oh what's the best rep range for muscle gain and i'm like well what was the last stimulus you were using for your workout? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what do you mean stimulus? It's like, yes, he, so that's, that's how broken the educational system is. People want the quick fix. We have TikTok now and you can get uh, entertainment and information in 15 second blasts. So they just want what's like easy. Their brain don't have to think and just. Yeah. And for me, I think the easiest way to say it is, you know, you talk about fitness or fiction cutting through the hype. The big thing is this is a dialogue. And if somebody's willing to look for more, uh, I want to give them a good source to come and and look and understand. So some of the topics I want to cover are, okay, tempo in training. What if your program doesn't have tempo? Let's talk about that. Um, stimulus. What what are we talking about with exercise stimulus? Um, a lot of people, it's like, well, I do three by 10 at the gym. And you say, okay, cool. Why? Well, because it's toning. Well, toning means your muscle is turned on. And if that's the case consistently, you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm actively trying to avoid that on my left side. So... Um, really like what's being sold versus what you're actually doing doesn't line up. And that's, that's really where I want to come in and provide a place where people can actually look and say, okay, well, they're, they're getting into it a little bit deeper for my understanding so that I can actually make qualified decisions. And, and it comes back to me to developing a, a more discerning fitness consumer. I don't want people to go online and be like, oh, that person has a six pack, so they must know what to do for me mm-hmm. because... I, I often say I've had a six pack since I was seven and I didn't know anything about fitness then. Um, so yeah, providing an escape from the mountains of content that come out every day now. Yeah. So, so I think we should wrap this baby up. Do you want to maybe plug your Instagram? What's the best way? If somebody wants to ask a question or dig into our topics in the future, where's the best place to reach you? So coach H is my instagram i have howden movement academy as well um but i think coach kurt.h is probably the best place to go kurt is c-u-r-t yeah mine I, is uh eric.berg at instagram not even gonna let me ask you the question go ahead right. what is your instagram i want to hear about how to get in, in touch with you eric.berg or if you prefer to just email our Berg podcast with an e. don't forget the e yeah b-e-r-g-e the email for our podcast though is fitness or fiction podcast at gmail.com that is a giant email but it's the best i could do yeah there you go there was a lot of them so but you know on on that topic you know like subscribe you know this is this is one of those things that we're trying to do and commit to doing more so we need to know that it's making an impact to engage like that so 100 percent. we would love some feedback love some emails or some instagram messages and, and even questions that you want covered that's that's going to be a big part I, I don't want this to just be like here's our topic or else this is what we decided to talk about yeah. uh, and you know a lot of what i see on my facebook and the questions that i ask it's i get some really interesting feedback and i think that 
engaging with that content and speaking it through is, is going to be a good thing. Cool. Well, great chat. Hopefully everyone knows you a little bit better. Meow. Yeah, maybe too good. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you guys later. Like, subscribe. We'll see you next week.